0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to SA Guide Talk. Um, Today, we have the whole crew in the house. Um, The whole crew being me, Paul, and Ethan, and also Mr. Kaysen. Say what's up, Paul. What's up, Paul? (laughs) (laughs) Say what's up, Ethan. (laughs) What's up, everybody? Hey, all right, cool. Um, So, uh, just kind of business as usual. If you guys listened to the podcast a lot last year, uh, we're all back in fresh from our trips from this morning. Um Paul and I were out on the Nola today. Um and Ethan and Casey were out on a trout wade on another river. Um and uh everybody had some success. Everything's still fishing pretty good. Um basically all the fish now are in their full-time summer mode, I would say. Uh smallmouth especially um and trout as well. Um, all of our wild streams are fishing pretty good. I had a backcountry trip yesterday for brook trout. Um, and that stream usually does a whole lot better, um, as the, the hotter you get in the year anyway, um, more bugs flying and, uh, just gets those fish moving. It was leaps and bounds different actually up there yesterday from when I ran a trip up there two months ago, I think back in April. So when it heats up up there and I know Ethan knows what I'm talking about, it gets a whole lot better up there, um, as your, as your, uh, summer goes on. Um, and also we're still getting hit with, uh, a lot of rain. So our flows have been phenomenal and I hope that they keep up all summer long with that. Um, chucky has been up, all of our trout streams have been up and the fishing has been really good as a result. So Chucky is actually been running at a normal flow rate <laughs> and fishing like she should be, um, French broad too. Um, and you know. On top of the rain, really, the last three days, we've had a pretty big heat wave. Um, It's been in the mid-80s north of Asheville here for like like the last three days or so. Yeah, give or take. Yeah, like the last three days or so. And um, before that, you know, there wasn't a morning there that it didn't get down to like at least in the 50s. So we had a really cool start, you know, to the summer. June was just a awesome fishing month like if you came out with us in june you know it was just an awesome time to be out there um trout fishing was good had great flows again Nola chucky and french probably were both fishing really good um but yeah we're just kind of in the full swing of things running trips and doing our thing so um
1: you guys want to elaborate on that <laughs> um i'll talk a little bit about the smallmouth side of things since i was out for smallmouth yesterday too well let me ask you fellas how'd y'all do today
2: it was awesome yeah caught 35 fish today uh for a half day trip ran a short section and using all swim baits pop bars smaller fish but really good yeah yeah really i mean just chock full of fish anywhere you threw pretty much so yeah we had a great great day uh, return client of mine. Father son uh, had a blast. So really, really good fishing right now.
0: Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had kind of the same day too. Honestly, I didn't throw any top water, but all my fish were on uh, just Ned rigs. Just Ned them out, business as
1: usual. And there wasn't a hole we pulled up to that didn't have a fish in it. So nice, nice. Yeah, it's been weird for me for top water this year. I haven't really. It's been a little bit more inconsistent for me than it has been in years past, but everything else has been fishing like it should. Yeah. So, kudos yeah. on you for getting them on Popars. It's awesome to hear. Uh, me and Case were on the same stream today. And, Case, how did you do today?
3: Uh, we did pretty well. Um, water still got good flow to it from the off and on rain we've been uh, getting. And uh, Trout are still pretty active and biting pretty well. Yep. I mean, yep. we were
1: catching them. I mean, we were just talking before we jumped on here. We were catching them on, like, size 10 Chernobyl's and... <laughs> two and three x and watching them like aerialize themselves out of the water trying to eat them which is always fun yeah um so we've it, like mitch was saying it's been really good um french broad we had a three boat float out there mm-hmm. uh when was that a couple weeks yeah. ago yeah Ooh, i forgot all about son. that that yeah, we was, had a three boater yeah and the water was actually a hair bit lower we got hit with a bunch of rain the week after that which has brought everything back up to the way it is now but before that the french was running a little low for this time of year Um, But with that said, it fished phenomenally We were catching them on uh, streamers Poppers uh, A little bit of everything that day As far as reaction baits concerned Had some on and off rain Um, It was just a dream of a day to be out there Yeah, it was definitely top
2: five Smalley group trips that I've been on Oh gosh, it was awesome
0: I always have a good day on that stretch Like, it's it's just such a long stretch Mm. And I think there's just a little bit Everywhere for fish to be out there
2: Oh, well, it's full of grass. And
0: It's full of grass. Got I mean... deep holes,
2: cellar runs. Yeah. It's just it's like... Awesome.
0: Very quintessential French broad yeah. <laughs> stretch, yes. for sure. Um, usually some good ones in there, too. Like, pretty typical chunky French broad fish we caught, like, all day out there, mm-hmm. which was
1: sick, so... And a couple
2: trout. A couple big <laughs> rainbows. <laughs>
1: yeah. The, t- the atypical French broad rainbow that comes out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, basically. Um... But, yeah, that was pretty cool, and, uh, yeah, you know, it was lots of fun finally have, being able to have a three-boater trip out there, and um, if you guys remember from the last podcast, all right, sorry about that, yeah, we're back, we had a little technical difficulty, <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, French broad, three-boater, yeah, so, um, yeah, everybody found a lot of fish out there that day, it was pretty good, yeah. Um, and we've been running the French pretty deep into the summertime this year, too, which, you know, we don't always do.
2: Um, today was my first day using the raft.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on the Noli. Oh, yeah. That reminds me. Yeah. today. If you guys listened to the podcast last season, if you will, um, oh, well, when we got the new Adipose, I said that Paul and Ether are going to look really cool while I'm rowing behind him in one of the rafts. (laughs) And Paul Paul and Ethan were just, you know, there's always a stretch somewhere on that stretch that you just have to row through, like, between point A to point B. And Paul and Ethan were just coasting down in the hard boats, and I was struggling a little bit in the raft. I was still getting there. I was still keeping up, but... We did look really cool. Yeah, you guys looked awesome. I took a lot of pictures. (laughs) So but
2: uh well update i know some people have seen our post for uh ethan's trip and he had his tire slashed yeah so we'll wait till he gets in here to talk about that but i'll talk briefly on it yeah he was just on a float and uh he made it home safe and everything um it wasn't a competitor that did it we have no idea who did it um but i will say that definitely wasn't a competitor um probably just some Somebody who had some extra free time and decided to mess with somebody's day, but yeah, all is good with that. We just replaced a tire, and um, you know, yeah, and business as usual. So um, didn't affect him at all. But.
0: No, yeah, it was. Would you know? And the thing about like, I don't think a competitor would do that. You know, not anybody that no. were in any kind of close. You know. I guess you could say any, any other guide service that we're adjacent to would not do that because everybody who's a guide and does this for a living knows that you don't do that. No. You know what I mean? We're friendly with
2: everybody. Right. Yeah. We're friends with, with all the guide services. Right.
0: Nobody's beefing. (laughs) so Never Uh, honestly. But it, uh, yeah, it was really weird and it's like really unfortunate, you know, and I hope, you know, it was just somebody – I hope it was just somebody, like, just vandalizing. You know what I mean? Just, like, running amok, being, you know, whatever whatever the word is you want to use. Um, but, you know, like, if somebody did that to, you know, because they didn't want Ethan parking in that spot or they didn't want Ethan fishing there they didn't want Ethan guiding there, you know, I, I would just like to say that that is just definitely not the way that you go about that at all um you know if you don't like somebody fishing your spot and they found it out and it's public water then you kind of have to eat it (laughs) like i mean spots get found out like my spots have been found out like paul case and everybody here has had spots that have been found out and like you just work with it you guide around it you fish around it and it is what it is but like you know going to the extent of doing that just because someone is in your fishing spot. Well, like you kind of have to ask yourself, is it worth it? <laughs> and and it's, we, yeah, we don't the know answer is, is did it, it, but. yeah, the answer is it's, that's not worth it. Honestly, yeah. that's never worth it. Um, we don't, you know, we don't know. We don't think anyone was out for Ethan. <laughs> At least not that we know, no. of. <laughs> but yeah, it, Surely it was not. very obviously a slash, but yeah, Ethan's good. Um, the trailer's good. Me and Ethan took like 10 minutes, popped a new tire on there, no big deal. Um, but, uh, you know, we've had some issues um, or other guide services have had a few other – or at least one other instance I can think of. Headwaters Outfitters, you know, they put a thing up on Instagram. Where what ha- didn't they have like a truck window get broken or yeah. what was it? Uh personal
2: property was stolen, stolen. from inside the 4Runner and then a um, – some some contraption on top, like a thule uh, compartment was stolen. Oh, like on a top. rod locker
0: or just a compartment?
2: I'm not sure. To be oh, honest dang. with you, I don't think it was a rod locker, but yeah, something that was on top of their vehicle was yeah. stolen.
0: We we've had a few issues with that, and um, those
2: are really the few that I've seen. Yeah, in but the that's past it. Though. Ten years or so, I haven't heard of anything. Yeah, I've never any, ever had a problem at any boat ramps. Whatever, ever it may be, if we're yeah. uh, guiding locally for trout or uh, running all the way down to uh, French Broad or, or Anoli yeah. or even the Tuckasegee, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I really haven't had any other issues other than other than that, and from headwaters. So yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's a, it is a safe area around here. Yeah, it, it it's a safe part. area,
0: and you know like you guys can attest to this too, that, you know, growing up around here, you're on the river, like you just, you know, leave your vehicle, like put in the kayak, put in a raft, like go five miles of wherever and fish on foot. Like, it doesn't matter. Like you just left your stuff, you know, and it's relatively safe, but in today's world, just like anywhere else, you kind of have to, you know, just be careful. Watch out, uh, watch out for your belongings and, lock stuff up if you need to if you feel like you have to but Mm -hmm. i was raised like that anyway so (laughs) we we always locked our stuff up but man i always yeah and if people are gonna the thing is is like you know people are gonna vandalize they're gonna vandalize it doesn't matter if it's on the river it doesn't matter if it's in a shopping center like if people are gonna be like that they're gonna be like that it doesn't matter where you're at i always
2: forget to lock my truck when i go out in public I'll, yeah. lose, I'll leave my keys in there. I'll forget all the time. <laughs> I need to stop doing that. Yeah. At the boat ramp when I was practicing for Norman, I left my vehicle unlocked every time. Yeah. I launched the boat. Yeah. We were talking about launching boats. Main Cason had a pretty awesome day fishing the lake. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was awesome. The first day was awesome. We talking about we we we'll- we went out. I don't know. Uh, Three weeks ago or so, three, four weeks ago. Yeah, it was pretty special. Oh, when you busted your
0: tire?
3: Yeah. Yeah, that day. Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, I was trying to figure out whether or not I should say the name of the lake. Yeah, we caught (laughs) some good fish. Uh, It was Lake Watauga um, up in East Tennessee. And uh, yeah, it was a pretty special day. Um, Bass fishing was real good. Caught some good ones. Uh, Seen a real, real big one. Um, How big? Come up and tapped our bait. You know, we seen it turn over. (laughs) I think me and Paul
0: estimated it to be probably at least nine or so. Maybe even yeah, a little bit bigger. Yeah. That might be understated. Yeah, yeah it's understated. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, That's speaking cool. of nine and ten pounders, Paul, did you see that video I sent you on Instagram today? Of that little kid on that pool noodle? Oh, yeah. Catching that ten pounder. Yeah. There's yeah. a kid on a – did you see that, case? Yeah, I've seen that video. Yeah, there's a kid on a pool, pool noodle. And, you know, his rod's like quadrupled over <laughs> – and he's just chilling out, swimming trunks, you know, no shirt, just, like, straddling a pool noodle. And he's sitting there fishing. And then just, like, in the frame, you just see, like, a it's like, it had to be, like, a 10-pounder, like, just a bucket. I mean, just a huge fish just come flailing out, does a head shake, jumps back in the river. Of course, the kid's, like, freaking out. And then who was it that did, like, the TikTok that was, like, I'm quitting fishing. I'm throwing all my stuff away. I don't know. Uh, what <laughs> uh, I haven't but, yeah, been on it was, TikTok. It was pretty funny. A it's, long time. It's funny how hard you try for those big fish, and then like you see a video of that kid on that pool noodle, just like <laughs> doubled over on it, And Lord knows what he's throwing. He's probably throwing like a rooster tail or something like that. So, but um, but yeah, yeah. Speaking anything else special with, happen on
1: the on the lake day? Well, speaking of kids no? and big fish, I'll tell a story. Oh with boy. That being said, so. <laughs> Me and uh, a friend of mine, Grayson, um, that was on the bass fishing team with me at NC State, we were fishing a pond outside of Raleigh. Yeah, um, that we used to go to all the time, and it had a lot of big bass in it, but they were very difficult to catch because that pond just got beat to death. Wait, when did you go out there? Um, this is back when I was in college. Oh, so right, we're in college. Oh. long, long time. I thought you were talking point. about like the other day. I was no, like, no. Oh, um, but we went out there, and me and him both have like, you know, two or three nice bay casting setups a piece. You know hundreds of dollars worth of tackle we're carrying in backpacks around this pond and we're going through there and we're trying everything we know to do. And I think between me and him, we maybe caught one or two fish that were maybe in like the one to two pound range. So, you know, not bad. I mean, nice way to spend the afternoon after class anyway. So we started making our way back around the greenway that kind of circled the pond and we saw this kid, a little Spider-Man rod and the thing was doubled over. And we heard the drag or what little drag was on that reel yeah. before we even saw the kid. Yeah. And we just heard it go zoo, 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 You know, and um we ran over there, and you know, those kids' rods doubled over in half, and we help him land one that was pushing anywhere between five and six pounds. And, you know, the kids, of course, is all excited, and I don't blame him. I mean, it's a big fish for anybody. And um we're helping him get the hook out, and I look at what he was using, he had a I don't know, a half-ounce egg sinker, like kind of halfway tied onto his line, and an eagle claw bait holder hook. And on the bait holder hook, kind of just rigged up through the nose, was a pink white zoom worm. Um, So, I, you know, out of curiosity, I asked the kid, I was like, how exactly were you fishing with this? And he said, oh, I was just casting it and reeling it as fast as I could back. And I was like, okay, fair enough. So apparently all I need to do to catch a big one is... <laughs> You know, burn back a pink methylate zoom worm as fast as you can. <laughs> Very good. So, it's, it's it's amazing, though, what kids are capable of. I mean, I had a kid the other oh, day yeah, on a trout wade, uh, catch a – he was maybe seven years old, I think, but he caught about a 13-inch long wild brown all by himself on a dry fly. Yeah. So, Dude, it's awesome. I, I, I truly think
0: God smiles on kids whenever they're fishing sometimes.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Just like
0: – I mean, because there's – We've had, like, I've had so many kids catch just big fish. And, like, the adult will be sitting there just, like, grinding, 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 grinding. And then just, like, the kid will just usually catch, like, the nicest fish. You know, like, the kid might not catch as many or the kid will miss, like, you know, a bazillion. But, like, he'll always find, like, the nice one. Or she. Dude, I've taken, like, the youngest kid I've ever put on a trout on a fly rod was six. And you know, I took a seven year old girl at one time. I might've told this story on the podcast before or whatever, but like there was a girl, she was like seven years old and I showed her how to cast a fly rod one time. And I did it with her. I was like, okay, this is what you do. You know, roll it in there. Like I was showing her how to high stick with her, like high stick it, you know, follow it through. And I was like, got it. She was like, yep. And then like the first thing I do with kids is like, I show them how to do it one time and then like make sure they're checked in with me. I'm like, did you get that? And they're like, yeah. And then after that, I'm like, okay, just do it. And I'll just hand them the rod and they might flail it off into a tree or they might make a good cast. And this time, dude, this girl made like perfect cast, like I sticked it right on time and then missed a fish. And I was like, whoa. She was like, how'd I do? I was like, that was your first time casting a fly rod. I was like, that was sick. <laughs> and then like, you know, little kids, with you know, like bass fishing and stuff too. It's really cool. It's oh, really yeah.
1: Amazing. I had a, I think this kid was about 11 years old last summer, catch about a, what was that fish you reckon, about a three or four pounder out of the noloy? About this time last year, actually, I think. With, with the white tube? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, really, that was really cool to watch. 2019, I think. No, it was last summer. Oh, was that? Oh, no, we're thinking of two different people. So, yes, I did have a kid back in, like, 2018 or 19 catch a, really nice fish on a white tube. Um, But then there was another kid I took out last summer that caught one that was even bigger than that. It was like maybe pushing three or four pounds or so, Mm -hmm. give or take. Um,
0: Was it the old I'm hung scenario? No, he actually,
1: (laughs) it was funny because we had been fishing all the day, and he caught, you know, at at that point, probably close to 20 on his own. And he looked over me and his dad. He said, I'm going to catch a big one right there. When we pulled up on the spot, got anchored up. I was like, you got it, buddy. You're calling your shot. Go for it. So he casts in there, and I'm actually, I think, helping his dad get on hung around the tip of his rod or something. And all I hear is just this big kapoosh. And I look over, and the kid's rod's doubled over in half. And, you know, the smallmouth is in the current digging under the boat. Yeah. Um, and sure enough, he we got it in the net, and, oh, man, it was, it was sweet.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's neat. And the thing, like, about kids, too, is I think they they really, like, any anybody who, you know, is a guide that does this full-time or whatever, part-time, works at a fly shop, they'll always tell you, like, when you're teaching kids how to fish, you've got to keep it very simple. And, honestly, I'll throw this little tidbit in here for free, too, um, for anybody looking to, like, you know, get their kids into fly fishing. Like, the first thing – or get the kids into any kind of fishing, like you can't force them to do that or they're going to hate it. (laughs) Like I've had, you know, I've seen a lot of dads that like really, really, really wanted to get like, you know, get their kid into fly fishing or like really, really, really wanted to get their kid into just like fishing in general. And they're like, you know, I wouldn't say like overdoing it with the kid, but they're just like really heavy on them and just like, uh, more or less forcing the kid to do it. Um, and, you know, like you hear a lot of stories, like I've heard some people be like, yeah, my dad used to force me to get up at like four o'clock in the morning and go hunting and sit in a tree stand and we wouldn't see anything and I'd freeze my butt off. And like, but it was like the, I forced them aspect to do it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've heard multiple sources say this and I found this out to be true myself that like, when you take kids out, you can't treat them like adults. And I know it's like, yeah, obviously. But what I mean by that is, you know, like when we give a demonstration to adults, like adults usually want to know why we have to fish this way. And they, so then you have to give them a longer demonstration of like how the aquatic insects work and you know, how your rig works and how your leader works and, you know, i go through all the rigmarole of that because adults like to question things. And then I've, I've been on guide trips with some adults where, like, I didn't explain something because I was just trying to save some time in the demonstration. And they thought that they could do it one way, which was the complete wrong way. But the funny thing with kids is, you know, I put a young kid who's seven years old on his first trout um, a few months ago. And I looked at his dad, and his dad was like, can he really fly fish? You think he can really do that? I said, give me 15 minutes. And I said, this kid will at least miss a trout on a fly rod. <laughs> <laughs> and I, all I said was, this was my whole demonstration of the kid. Because he started out, you know, we, I gave him a little Zebco and some trout magnets. We weren't catching anything. I was like, this isn't going to do anything. And so I told his dad, I was like, just let me teach him how to fly fish. And so, you know, I get the kid hand him a rod and full-size fly rod. There's no such thing as a kitty-size fly rod. Hand him a nine-foot, five-weight fly rod. I said, all right, you're going to pick your rod up like this. You're going to lay it down like that. You're going to lay it down in a way that your fly lands right there in that spot. Hold your rod tip up over the white poof, and you're going to follow the white poof all the way down to there. I said, if you see that white poof go down or fish come up and eat it, You go like this, and I showed him how to set the hook, and he was like, got it, and then made a couple drifts, missed one, made a couple more drifts, caught a fish, (laughs) but, like, the kids, like, kids just want to catch fish. They're not like, well, why am I, why is my leader so long, or why do I have to hold my rod tip up? My arm hurts. Like, why do I have to set my hook? Like, kids are just like, okay, and they're either, like, about it, or they're just like, they just want to go chuck rocks. And that's fine. <laughs> like and, that's fine too, and the thing yeah. is, is like, what I was getting at too is like with kids, you know, get them associated with the activity of fly fishing. Be like, I've heard this from a lot of people who have had kids and um, they're like, hey, let's go fly fishing. You know, get them associated with being a part of the activity. Be like, hey, let's go fly fishing. And then they're like, okay, cool. Yeah, we're going with dad to fly fish. And they might fly fish here or there. They might not care anything about it, but, you know, they might want to go flip rocks and look for bugs, or they might want to go catch crayfish, or, you know, they might want to go catch bluegill on the side of the, you know, on the dock or whatever, instead of, you know, trying to go bass fish or whatever. But like, just let them do their thing that they want to do on the water and then, when as they get older with time, then they're probably going to want to fly fish with you. They're probably going to bass fish with you or, wh- or whatever you're trying to do on the river, honestly. But, like, the thing is, is like, if you're going to bring a kid fishing, like, you should go into it with that mindset, like, okay, this is definitely what, you know, for the kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and
1: I know for me, like, one of my biggest influences, of what got me into fishing was going out behind my great grandparents' spring house and catching salamanders and crayfish. That's what actually really yeah. got me into fishing more than anything because I love playing in the water, and I just saw fishing as an outlet to play in the water. Yeah, me too. Like, and yeah another thing, too, with that, um, one of the best things I've ever heard, not just with teaching kids, but also with teaching adults, um, and I believe this quote is from Albert Einstein, of all people. Um, so take this with a grain of salt. It might not be from him, but it says, if you can't explain something to a six-year-old in a way that makes sense, you don't truly understand it yeah and i think that's with any subject matter in general so if you can't explain fishing in a manner that makes sense to a six-year-old then you don't actually understand how fishing works and i can think it could be applied to just about anything um so that really helped when i heard that that kind of registered in my head and that's that's really helped me kind of make things a little bit more simple for people yeah because you know sometimes you can you know us as guides we're really in depth with all this stuff and sometimes when you're giving demonstrations to adults or whoever you can say something that might go way over the top of somebody's head um, cause they might not have the background like we do, you know? Yeah. So, you know, with that you being gotta said, be, you gotta be really like
0: baseline. Like I've got my demo down to where I could like recite it on a stage. Oh yeah. <laughs> like we all. Do. But I mean, you know, with my demo, I've got it at a very baseline, like very simple, but also, you know, very explanatory manner to where I, through words, I can show someone or I can explain to someone how to do it. Mm -hmm. But Ethan's right. Sometimes you say things and it goes like right over the top of their heads. And sometimes people just don't get it until they get in the water and see it. But like everybody's different that way. So
1: yeah, everyone learns a little bit differently. And what I tell folks is that sometimes it's going to take you missing 10 fish before your muscle memory kicks in. and Then you finally hook one. Yeah. Um, If you're getting fish to eat, that's half a battle anyway. So,
2: right. Well, Mitch learned not to leave his boat. Um, (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, what Paul, I missed? I had to step Paul, out, take a phone we, call. What, we were having, Mitch, we, were having such wholesome... the the we were oh, having such a wholesome boat today. Oh
0: no! What'd you do, Mitch? We were having such a wholesome conversation, Paul. What I miss? This is so Paul. Paul's just been. Paul's been on one. <laughs> That's all I know to say.
1: <laughs> what? Okay, so I, I need Dude, to get
0: filled in on this. What happened? So like, fill you in. okay. <laughs> so like, me, Paul was basically taken out where I was putting in today. So as he was running a shuttle like I was shaking the the raft off the trailer into the water. I was like, "Yo, what's up, Paul?" You know, everything. Where he's like, "Hey, what's up, buddy?" You know, we're just like dapping each other up, you know, saying hey, and I was like, "All right, I got to go." And we just leave. And then you know, I get my people to follow me to the takeout and then like I ride with my people back up to the put in. And like Paul's like gone. Actually, no, he's in the water. I passed him on the way there. And like, I told my clients, I was like, yeah, there's Paul. You know, he's one of our guys. You know, make him feel like we're not, like, on a crowded, like, jump, you know, getting jumped or whatever. And they're like, oh, cool, you know. And I get down to the river, and, or I get down to the raft, and I look out, and, like, my anchor rope is just everywhere. <laughs> like, everywhere. <laughs> Like Paul I took, you, like, put so, in
1: your so what I
2: what I did was I I twisted the anchor rope around a thigh brace uh-huh. like twenty times <laughs> and then yeah, on the back thigh and brace. then I grabbed then I grabbed a log and I tied a knot to it with the anchor rope and threw it in the river
0: <laughs> so like I get there. <laughs> and this is the literally the spot where ethan you know had his trailer tires slash but yeah i get back and my anchor rope is just like wrapped around my my rear leg brace i, I and i was like i was really curious because like i followed it from the leg brace and i was like followed the end of the rope and then like i looked in the river and saw the log that it was tied to and like it wasn't a big log it was like maybe the size of my like Like the size of your shin. Yeah. It's like maybe like a foot long. It was still a thick one though. And I look and it's just like, there's two knots tied on the log. And I was like, okay. And then like the rest of the rope was like splayed out into the river. (laughs) And dude, my clients are just like standing on the bank. Just like looking at all this. (laughs) Like, and I could tell they're thinking like, is this really how you leave your anchor rope (laughs) or like they're just looking like somebody definitely messed with you or whatever. Like they didn't comment on it, but I was just
2: in the boat in the opposite direction. Yeah. And then he
0: took, and then he took the oar, and then like shoved it sideways, like behind my cooler and just like left it there. And I get there and all this is just like behold and beheld in front of me. And my clients, dude it was so close dude it was so like it, I was so confused and it was <laughs> it was like awkward too cause like my clients I was like they were like they didn't say anything but I was like yeah I guess like somebody just like missing my raft I don't really know what's going on <laughs> I was like must have been Paul though like he was just here they're like oh okay so they're like dismissing but like it obviously it wasn't anything like detrimental or damaging but
2: no, I, I told my people we we do some friendly hazing to Mitch just we pick on him most so yeah well, they were done Listen speaking
1: of that so here's a funny story for y'all speaking of Paul um I'm very notorious for forgetting things like I forget things all the time I forgot Apparently I forgot, I didn't know that I forgot, but apparently I forgot one of Paul's rods on one of our group wades. like, however long ago. Or one of us forgot it. Might have been me. More than likely me. Um, Let's see, what else have I forgotten? Uh, I'm very notorious for leaving my coffee mug in very strange places. Yeah. And I don't even know where that coffee mug is anymore. Do you even have it? by some miracle, I still have it. I don't know how. Um, Things cursed. but Paul being the group dad, apparently, um, <laughs> decided that he was, <laughs> he, I, I left my coffee mug and I, 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 came back to the shop and I'm looking for my coffee mug. I'm like, Paul, where, I have no idea where I left. This It's like the fifth time I've lost it this week. Like, cause I'll get, you know, I get here in the morning to the shop and I'm, you know, I'll have my coffee and I'm sitting there drinking it and I'm getting, you know, boots and waiters taken care of and all that. And I left it sitting there. And when I get back, it's just covered in double-sided duct tape.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I remember that. <laughs> just yeah. absolutely like five layers of duct tape around it. Paul likes and, a practical joke, dude. And I you was don't like, have to
0: start firing back.
1: I was like, all right, I get it. Fair yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: We were so tired of like sending you pictures of it, like Ethan, like please get your mug. But yeah, and then apparently there's like this this meme of me going around that apparently I like to kill fish. It's a it's a company inside. Mitch
1: loves him some stalkers. He loves him some stalkers. Oh God, I should have not not brought this up. He is Why? what would you say, Paul? Okay, some what? What do you what would you call him? What what we say the other day, a truck chaser, is that right? (laughs) Oh my god! (laughs) He he's a feller that you see behind the stocking truck, just sitting there to start to pull off, waiting on him. That's me. He's he's got that stocking schedule printed out with power bait. Oh man, dude, I've got the stocking schedule literally taped to my windshield. (laughs) I. You tell me, like, like, when y'all went to Cherokee, like, you were drooling over the, the wall of power bait you found in that gas station or something? Dude,
0: yeah, there's a gas station down there. They had a trout <laughs> magnet section, and, dude, they had every color of power bait under the rainbow, like, in the rainbow, every color. Under the rainbow. Under the rainbow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they had some of the colors that were under the rainbow, too, like. <laughs> no, it was crazy, yeah. And then I saw this really cool trout magnet hat that I thought about getting for Ethan. Because
1: Ethan likes trout magnets. I will say, they will work. No, they won't. Yes, they. they no, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You just ain't using them at the right time, asshole, buddy.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a power bait bite in there. Oh, yeah. And that's about three days after power the stocking hatch. truck leaves. <laughs> the power bait hatch? Yeah. Yeah, the power bait hatch. But, yeah, um, I would just like to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like to clarify that I I don't eat fish, I don't catch and keep, so please don't come on any of my trips asking if we can keep the fish because you heard this podcast. It is all a lie. I do not catch and keep my fish, but apparently (laughs) Paul and Ethan like to mess with me and uh, say that I do. I don't know where this was born from, I don't know. Uh, it's uh-oh. born
2: from your love of wild fish <laughs> and taking care of them, so we just mess yeah. with you a little bit There we go,
1: yes. uh,
0: thanks Paul, that was
1: that was very And awesome. by caring for those wild fish, you care for them so much That you would rather see 20 stalkers thrown up on the bank as opposed to them being in a wild trout stream I wouldn't go that far
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that
1: far, honestly <laughs> On a stringer, that's right That is also a joke,
0: good people That but, is
1: uh, Mitch's, he doesn't know this yet but for Christmas, we're all pitching in and getting them a brand-new stringer because this old ones about wore out. <laughs> See, what
0: this is what I do with.
1: This is what you do. You do such a good
0: job. You know, you're a conservationist. You, you do all these trash pickups, and, you know, you teach all these people how to handle trout, and then this is what you get. This is how I your got, homies treat you.
1: I got just a thing for you, buddy. What? You need to go out to, like, Out west. Where you know, like they have those cutthroats out there, they're getting overrun by rainbows, and you can just go out there and have <laughs> yep. a ball, buddy. Yep, just go out there and with your power bait you and have a ball. I
0: actually, and I've been kind of nerding out and watching New Fly Fisher videos here recently with Mark Melnick. You know, Tom Rosenbauer, Mark Melnick. You know, and they're always going to these. You know what New Fly Fisher is? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. well, they're always going to like these destination places, and Mark Melnick. I can't. I think the boat, the boat, the video was. I don't know. It's only like a couple years old, maybe even a year old, and I think they're out in on like the snake, and uh, the guide was literally like, "Yeah, you know they're, um, they they have these rainbows tagged or or something, but like if you catch if you catch a rainbow, like one of the rainbows." Like, they have literally cash prizes inside of the fish.
2: Like at Cherokee. Don't they have them uh, at Cherokee? Do they? Yeah, they got...
1: Yeah, they have the tags the of Cherokee. Tags yeah, they go have, like, $1, tournaments. $1, you yeah. go down there, And there's some fish you catch, and out of the catch and keep section, that would be worth, like, $1,000. Yeah, dude.
0: that The guide was telling Mark Melnick that one of the fish that was stocked in that section of the snake was, like, $20,000 if you catch it. But they're, like, trying to promote people, like getting the rainbows up out of the river so that they you know the cutthroat have more room mm-hmm. you know to yeah be there. well they did like, there's nothing a- wrong with a rainbow trout but like you know i wouldn't want one of my brook trout streams being completely overran with rainbow trout because i love brook trout and i love that they're being i love that they're there so yeah, like i can see rainbows the are not native so. right and rainbows aren't native anyway so i mean like a wild fish is a wild fish and for people who are maybe confused as to like why this is maybe a good thing or a bad thing. It's just because, like, you know, we have streams that we guide on that have a lot of wild fish in them, and we cherish all of our wild fish here, like, no matter what. But, you know, there are some streams that, you know, certain wild populations of fish are invasive in. Yes. You know, like, especially, like, if you get a bunch of browns on a brook trout stream. Yes, that
1: that can be the worst thing that could happen to a spec stream, because browns being predatory. They will wipe, Specs off the face of the earth, and right. you know to clarify further too. For those of you who might not know this, here's your little science lesson for today. <laughs> there um, it is. Let's there go. it is. So brook trout, the eastern brook trout, and the subspecies of them being the southern Appalachian brook trout that we have here is actually the only salmonoid species that's native to North Carolina. Yeah. Um, and I'll spare the in-depth history lesson that goes in with that. But rainbow's are originally native to west of the Rockies. Browns are originally native to Europe, and parts of Asia. Fun fact of the day. So, with that being said. There's a stream over in East Tennessee, actually. It's kind of similar to what you're talking about with a the snake there, um, where Trout Unlimited went through. And I mean, the stream is really small. It's maybe no wider than like the width of a coffee table, you know. Very small stream that at one point had specks in it, you know, native brook trout. Yeah. And Trout Unlimited came in. I can't remember what chapter it was. And I think this was sometime back in maybe the early 90s. They brought over specs from the Tennessee side of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, brought them up into the upper part of that stream, um, killed off all the rainbows and browns that were in the upper end of it, reintroduced brook trout, and then built below it an artificial waterfall. And so the artificial waterfall, the idea of it is to prevent those browns and rainbows from swimming up into the specs, because browns will right. eat them, rainbows will overpopulate them. Right. And so, There's a sign there that when you go up there, if you're fishing up there, it'll say if you get to the part that has specks in it to throw any rainbow or brown you catch. If you do catch one up there on the bank, like, or or kill it otherwise, because they don't want any up there to disturb the brook trout population. So there's a lot of give and take with that.
0: Um, Well, the thing is, is like, you know, at this point there's, there's wild trout streams that are just going to have wild rainbows and wild browns in it. And it's going to take a lot of work to reverse that, you know, but, and like, and there's some of them that can't be reversed. Exactly. And once upon a time, those same streams were full of brook trout, you know, or a lot of them were, I I wouldn't say maybe all of them, but like a lot of them were full of native brook trout. And then over time, like Ethan said, the rainbows overpopulated them, the Browns ate them. And then they just got forced into the very, you know, headwaters oftentimes of whatever drainage they're in, if not just completely decimated. So, you know, there are some th- like it's different here on the east. I didn't know we were getting in all this today. It's different here on the east, you know, with our our trout fisheries than it is out west. Um a little bit like it's 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 the same, but it's kind of to a smaller scale. But like in the east, our wild trout are our wild trout like At this point, you know, it would take so much work to reverse those things back to, like, native brook trout streams. And with the amount of people pressure and everything that you have on top of that, like, the brook trout couldn't thrive in those places, even if they were introduced in a lot of them nowadays. Yeah, because because rainbows
1: and browns can live in not only more polluted water, but water with higher water temperatures on average because... Brook trout are technically Arctic char and hence the name Then you call cold, well, extremely cold water. So. And not
0: only that, but brook trout are very, very sensitive to pressure and impervious cover. Yes. Um, like way more than rainbows and browns are because like brook trout streams, at least around here, like I've seen a couple of brook trout streams go like, you know, be you'll, you'll find a way less brook trout in them now. Because those streams
1: got found out about.
0: Like, you're not not going to find brook trout up there, but it's not going to be, like, other places I go to where you're just going to find, like, a ton. Yeah,
1: because they're not as hard as people think that they are to catch. Yeah, everyone thinks they're so,
0: like, elusive or picky or whatever. Well,
1: they also have a bigger mouth than rainbows and browns do, Um, being an arctic char, I mean, if you've been on a delayed harvest stream and saw the brooks that they stock in there, the mouths on them are huge, and they'll eat literally... I mean you could probably throw a two op worm hook at some of them and they could fit in their mouth, you know. I've literally
0: had their jaws stuck in my net before. Yeah, I
1: mean and their jaws are relatively <laughs> yeah. fragile. So when you have a big hook in a you know, an eight inch long brook trout's mouth and you're sitting there trying to rip it out and it's got a barb on it or something, or if you have a treble yeah. hook, it's gonna kill uh, that fish. Yeah. So one thing too with that, while we're on this subject, um, we're seeing similar stuff with bass as well. Like, um, Spotted bass in particular is kind of an old issue, but it's still relevant. Um, spotted bass overtake smallmouth in lakes and um, and largemouth too. I mean, like Norman's a good example of that. Um, okay. Yeah, like Lake Norman being one of the more prolific largemouth bass fisheries for years, and then it got overran with spots. Um, so that's a it's an interesting note. I mean, I I know at Lake James too, they're trying to promote more people catching spots out of there. And trying to eliminate those so that way the smallmouth can come back. Because smallmouth populations have been kind of struggling in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've all been on Lake James. We can, I think, all attest that because it's really one of the closest lakes that we have to any of us that we bass fish at, other than maybe Watauga. Um, But the population of smallmouth in there, and there's still people that go down there and catch a lot and catch good ones, too, if you know where to go. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad smallmouth fishing because there's certainly still great smallmouth fishing there. But the more I go down there, the more spots I definitely run into and bigger ones now. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: well, and the thing is too, and like the thing I wanted to say about trout is that it's really like subjective, I think to where you're fishing at because you know, if it takes so much work to reverse, you know, the pop, like it takes so much work to, in a lot of these places to reverse things back to the way that they originally were like the way that nature intended. Um, But at the same time, like, do you really want to eliminate and just like all these, you know, all these wild fish that have been in there now at this point for generations, just because you want to, you know, reintroduce more of a population of a fish that's supposed to be there. It's like, in some places I would say, yeah, you know, you should do that because I think like every place should have as much of their native fish as there should be, you know, because it's the way that nature intended. And like, that's awesome that like that us as anglers and outdoorsmen and whether you're hunting fish and whatever, like that's what you want. Like you want these things to be as close to nature as tended intended as possible. But like, is it really worth it in certain streams to kill off a whole certain species of fish that are, that have been there that, you know, you spend so much time protecting just so you could have that other species of fish back. And I think it's subjective to streams. Cause like I said, it makes sense. Like, What's up? Oh, it makes sense for, uh, like, bigger rivers, maybe out west, where you have, like, w- way higher populations of trout. But, like, some of our freestone weightable streams here in East Tennessee and North Carolina, you know, it doesn't make much sense to eradicate a lot of those wild fish because we have, you know, still a sustainable environment for them, but also maybe not so sustainable to where you could wipe out literally an entire species of fish and then you know expect it to be okay. Yeah. So it's just like it's it, there's like a balance there. I think there and is. I th- it works yeah. for some places, but I don't think it should be done for other places.
1: Yeah, because a lot of the streams that we have now in the lower portions of them do have like things like development. And they have changed a lot over the years. Yeah. But I will quote um, Jurassic Park, and that nature always finds a way. So true there's i've seen a True. lot of things with all and we've talked about this on this podcast before um but we've seen some very strange things happen in the natural world that where we thought a population of fish was gone where all of a sudden they came back um or with like deer i mean i remember when my grandparents were growing up like deer and turkey and things of that nature were just non-existent around yeah. here. Like, you never... Yeah.
0: My father-in-law says that all the time. Yeah. And, like, and like now, Katie's grandpa says that. Yeah,
1: especially yeah. turkey. I mean, like, you never heard of a wild turkey around right. here. And now they're the, one of the more prolific wild animals around. What like, are they... Like, what
3: Turkey's one of the biggest successes, I would say, of conservation um, and the new knowledge of conservation because... Turkeys were about wiped off the map completely in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back when the Europeans first
1: arrived. But yep. Yeah. Definitely a big success. Well, in uh, fact, did you know that Benjamin Franklin wanted that to be the, like, the, the, the national, national bird? bird yeah, yeah, he wanted I to be think, wild turkey. Dude, that would have been so <laughs> cool, honestly. <laughs> but
0: uh, what what was the strain of whitetail they they stocked here back in the day? When is like Minnesota? Uh, Wisconsin maybe. Wisconsin it was one of them. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm not a big. Wisconsin. fan.
3: It was either it was somewhere up there. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't think it was too far out west, like Kansas or anything like that. I think it was more like Wisconsin. Okay. Um, Yeah.
0: That's that. That's another thing too. Talking about like nature finds a way. One thing, like one actual topic, like I I had lined up, and I don't know if we should like spill it now or what, but I'm just gonna say it. Like sturgeon in the French Broad. Mm -hmm. Like sturgeon are are aren't they a native species? They are a native species. Yes. And the
1: last one that was caught. On hook and line was sometime in the 1950s. The Wild Commission is trying to bring them back. They just recently came out and said that. Right. Um,
0: well, and we looked that up too. Remember, because we yes. were like, dude, what if we can go catch sturgeon? But apparently, like to cat, like to target sturgeon, it's you still have to illegal have like to, it's still yeah. illegal, and you have to have like some kind of like you have to be literally like a scientist with like all these special permits to like go out there and
1: like catch the, or, yes. or harvest yeah. those fish.
3: And it would be. A, it would probably be a long time before they would allow
1: people to. Yeah, because they're just yeah. not getting to even be a relatively catchable size. Yeah, and I think the only and they reason stocked why they stocked them even... in 2017. No, it was in the 90s. I think.
0: Didn't we look at something not too long ago? Yeah, they've, they've been
1: stocking them. Yeah. Oh, they've been
0: stocking them. Yeah. So, how, so how long did they
1: stock them? They're like seven inches. I, I'm not sure about that, As but I do family? know that sturgeon take a yeah. very long time to grow. Um,
3: is, that, is that white sturgeon?
1: I believe so, but don't quote me on that. I'm yeah. Not an expert on sturgeon, but dude, I think that's so freaking cool
0: sturgeon in the french broad because like i didn't even know about that till like, oh yeah i came like i was just uh like reading news articles on google or something one day like scrolling through my phone aimlessly and i saw that and i was like what
1: i had no idea yeah i'm waiting for the day that we're down there on a musky float or something we accidentally snag like a 60 pound sturgeon in the back on a crankbait or a bucktail and i'm not I'm really lie. wondering what I'm really wondering what will happen, like, if I'm in the drift boat rowing and trying to keep up with this fish, you know? <laughs> I know, right? Dude. The anchor wouldn't hold it.
0: Like, I just wanna, you couldn't back row against it. I just want to see one, dude. I just want to see one in the French. Like, I cool. want to really go cool. out there on a gin clear day and just row across a big hole and just see, like, daggum, how long do they get? Like, 12 feet. In the Columbia? Yeah, they, they can. I'm sure the yeah. environment lets them. Dude, if you see like a 12-foot fish in the French broad, like, holy cow. I think
2: insane. we sized and did, did an estimate that there should be around 30 inches or 36 Yeah, the ones they stock, because they
0: grow how many inches a year? And they, they I don't s- remember. Well, they stocked them in 2017, and we did like the math on it last year. So at this point, they should be like as big as a lot of the muskie that are in the French broad. Mm-hmm. That'd be really
1: cool. And if, if, if well, if
0: they've been stalking them since the late 90s, dude, then there's some in there that are probably tanks by now, if yeah. Made it, if they
1: made it this far, and I'm sure they probably, you know, came out with that too. Because as many people with a carp and catfish in the French, you know, they're the surgeon or bottom feeders, so it it probably would only be a matter of time until someone hooked one.
0: I'm surprised um, it
1: hasn't happened already, like, I'm it might have happened, it probably it might have happened already, and that's why they said it, but. Yeah. I'm not so sure about that either. but
0: Well, I wonder, because, like, dude, if that happened, I'm thinking from a social media aspect, like, that would blow up on social media. Mm-hmm. If someone catches a sturgeon out of the French broad, like, you know people are about to be posting that. Um, and I wonder if it's just not some old dude, some good old boy with, you know, his cut bait or whatever, trying to catch a big catfish or a carp, and he catches one and just says, oh, cool, puts on a stringer, doesn't say anything about it like me apparently <laughs> exactly apparently we gotta watch so, out for old mitch now so yeah know what he's gonna
1: do yeah um but yeah with douglas too they you know have been doing a lot of work on douglas lake or not sorry douglas like Boone lake um over in tennessee um on the dam there and if you live over there have tried fishing over there the last few years over there i mean none of the boat ramps were even usable hardly because it just went 30 feet down to mud um, tag I didn't know that. Oh yeah, but since it's been brought back up, at least. weren't you telling me something they were having to do more work with the damn Paul? Or
2: I don't know. If, I don't. I don't know if
1: that was hearsay or what. But okay. Um, no, I don't think they are. Okay. Well, it was. It was cool to see when me and you went out there that one day to see all those Florida strain largemouth that they had stocked in there to try to build back the population up and try to get bigger ones in there. Yeah, that'll be really interesting to see what's going to happen there in the next few years with it too. Um,
0: Do you think, like, a Florida strain fish would still thrive in, like, that kind of environment, though? Because Boone is, like, a very mountain-esque lake. Yes.
3: The other thing that will, the the problem, I think, would be the spots. Yeah. They have to
1: outcompete the spots. True. But if they get big, like F1s do, then...
3: That's really, that's the reason that they're putting them in. Because we've got the, uh, what was it called, the Alabama spots, too, that are coming up. And especially in East Tennessee, the Alabama spots are getting real bad. Yeah. They're even more even more invasive than the uh just the regular like a spot. kentucky spots uh, yeah yep. normal spots so right
2: so the f1 i believe if i might be wrong with this f1 is not a true florida strain bass it's a florida it's it's a, it's like the second generation um okay. of that So i think it's a cross between a northern and a florida strain Okay. Yeah, it's not a true Florida strain. So then it would probably. I think that's right. I could be terribly wrong, right. but I think that's uh, still so we'll
1: be able to handle the cold some research too. A while back. Yeah. Yeah, because
2: it gets cold. on Boone being like, oh yeah. They
1: just put a bunch of Norman too,
2: right? Yeah, they put yeah. a ton of Norman. Really? When they do that? Uh, last year was the first year. So this is the second year they've done it. Um, I can't remember how much they put in there, but they they did a huge program. See, it kind of makes sense though for like. Piedmont
0: Lakes and stuff, you know.
2: I mean, for Norman, for them to out-compete all those spots, that is going to be extremely tough. And yeah, it's all the for, spots. For dude. what I, I – my opinion is I, I think that might be a waste of money, but yeah,
0: I don't, you know. Well, I no Ethan, clue. didn't they stock like some – like a Colorado – like didn't they stock like Cutthroat in the South Holston back in like 2018? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. so apparently they did that – more recently, too, on the Watauga, if I remember right. Um, which I did that back in the 70s, too, if I remember correctly as well. The Tennessee Wild Commission did. I never saw a single one. Well, they got out-competed by the rainbows, yeah, and that's what's course. happening out west, too. But if you go out there to the Watauga, you can sometimes catch a rainbow that has the slits on The its, band? Yeah, yeah, on the underside of it. And that's... I wouldn't call it a true cut bow, but it, I think it does have a genetics of some of those cut that did try to stock in there. I think they stocked them in the Caney Fork and the... Um, What's the other one out there? The Clinch? Uh, clinch? Think, yeah, I think clinch. they did him there yeah. as well, if I read reading yeah. correctly. But I cannot remember off the top of my head. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I, I don't really know why they did that. Um, I do know, just from hearing people talk, that Cutthroat are uh, not very difficult to catch as well either. Apparently they're...
0: All the videos I've ever seen on Cutthroat... <laughs>
1: They don't look that hard. <laughs> they I don't mean, look. Granted, that hard. I've never caught one. I'm not from right out caught west. Caught one so either. No. If you're out here, if you're out west and shaking your head right now, dude, I'd, they're so hard. You know, I, yeah. I understand. But um. dude, it's
0: it was so funny talking about again, like new fly fisher, and I and I like brought this up to one of my clients today, and he fly fishes. We we were on a smallmouth float, but he's fly fish for trout a bunch too. And I was telling him like I was watching this video, and like. Again, you know, good old Mark Melnick, new fly fisher. He's out there, and they're fishing this trico hatch out. I think it's like in Wyoming. And they're catching these cutthroat. And what? Nothing. Oh, they're catching these cutthroat. And they're fishing this trico hatch. And guy hooks into one, Mark does. And the guy looks at him and goes, be careful, he's on 4X. And I'm like... Dude, every time I fish a trico hatch, it's on, like, 6 and 7X around here. But the guide was going, be careful, he's on 4X.
1: And I'm sitting there going, like,
0: do you have to be careful on 4X if, <laughs> if the fish is 12 inches long?
1: Yeah, 4X is, like, as heavy as I go. If 4X is, here. like,
0: 4X is, what, like, 8 pounds? 8 pounds, pound depending on the brand. Yeah. yeah. I've had, like, donkey smallmouth in on 8-pound test. Like, Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> But he was, it was funny. He was going, be careful. He's on 4X. And I was like, come on. Like, yeah. There's- <laughs> not that that's a bad thing. I mean, obviously, that's how they fish out there. But just, like, being a guy from the east, I was like, dude, that just sounds so crazy. Like,
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting, too, um, with, like, line sizes and all that, like, People get kind of scared of using seven x. I can't tell you how many twenty inches I've had landed on seven x, especially out of place like a Davidson and things yeah, like that. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, it's just like there's a time and a place for it, of course. But yeah,
0: and obviously, if you're a fishery, you get away you you're able to get away with using heavier tippet. Like, good for you. Well, the more I <laughs> That's got, so though, awesome.
1: The more, especially over the last couple of years, I've been like experimenting a lot with this because I have used like eight x before that's like trout that's hunter makes extra. like 8x and i think they go even you know <laughs> lower than that and i tried that to see if it'd make any difference and be honest with you i don't think it made any difference whatsoever no and like no. today when i was had on 2x to chernobyl and was watching wildfish <laughs> roll up on it after we had you know put a lot of pressure on it and i'm sure other people have too and i was like does it really matter that much Maybe not. Maybe Dude, not. you Most saw, think they do.
0: You said the words 8X. I just watched Kaysen just like crawl into his own skin. <laughs> <laughs> we
1: don't believe in 8X, Louis yeah. Kaysen. There's yeah.
2: Mitch, you like this. Um, I forgot his name. I'm trying to look it up, but there was a uh, bass fishing tournament. Um, some Japanese angler placed in the top five using three pound tests. That's dope. He was the guy that um, came out with the dice. The furry, oh, yeah, the fuzzy, fuzzy dice. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: that that thing you all showed me a while back yeah. with like the the, 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 the sugar cube thing. Yeah. Does I, that really work? Or I, is it-
2: I think. Uh, I'm trying to look at Kota Kiriyama. I think I. I think that was him. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Well, the thing Three is pound is, test. Though. Yeah. Well, Kitchen if you small, have you catching six, five, six pounds. That's what I'm now.
0: saying. Like that's what me and Ethan are saying. If you have the right rod that can handle the light line, then you can keep bigger fish on that you know on on the on the hook so to speak i mean not all the time like you're not gonna you know it's gonna be harder like obviously it's gonna be easier to turn bigger fish on bigger rods and heavier lines but like you if you can make it work you know like the japanese guys they'll go out there and they're fish with like a daggum 10 foot rod but they have the rod to support that thin line like it's what that rod is made for is that style of fishing so you know
3: yeah i've seen i swear by using like two pound tests in the winter wintertime finesse fishing i think yes yeah. i've seen him swear by two pound tests which is just you know crazy that's
1: thing. insane my theory with that because me and the feller um the, the fellers i had yesterday out with me we were talking about that and i think that it has more to do with present the presentation of the bait than it does whether the fish see it or not more than anything because um, I do know, I do think with fly fishing that lighter diameter tippet helps the bait, like the bait, the fly, flow through the water column more freely, right? Helps your nymph sink fast. Helps the dry fly drift better in the current. But for like smallmouth and rivers, you know, if you throw like a crankbait on, let's say, ten or twelve pound test line versus like six pound test line on a spinning rod, it has a somewhat of a different action to it. And I'd imagine that probably the same with like fishing with soft plastics too um So, I don't know. That'll probably be an ongoing debate for as long as we fish is whether fish actually see it or not, or whether it's just. Right, and then
0: we'll never know because around. we're not some fish.
3: will like 12 pounders on 65 pound braid and the water looks
0: pretty clear. Yeah, I mean, and you're like, yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think it's
1: whether the fish associate with like a threat or not more yeah. than anything, you know. I, I will say, though, that I mean, I've had some strange things happen. I've had fish in gin clear water eat baits on like neon colored braid so
0: we'll never know we're not fish that's right (laughs) we don't know what they see i mean i i have had times and i know that's kind of like a stupid way to write that off but like i have i have had times like on the davidson where like you know you're putting a fly in the drift and they look at it deny it look at it deny it and then like the second i go from 6x to 7x that's when i start getting fish to commit and then there's other times where like doesn't matter. (laughs) So. I don't know. Anyway, I guess on that note, we're an hour into this thing. And uh, that was a banger. (laughs) We covered a lot of ground here today, guys. Um, But uh, hopefully next time we put one of these out... Uh, We'll have another topic cooked up for you guys. We definitely do. We still got a lot Please
1: send some in that you would like for us to do. Yeah, for real.
0: That would be awesome. If you're listening to the podcast, um, and I took out a couple clients uh, yesterday um shout out Tom and Wright uh return clients of both mine case and Paul's <laughs> they've been out and they've tried just a little bit of everything with us and we had a really awesome day out there uh yesterday brook trout fishing um
3: if you're listening stick
0: to the Chnos yeah. yeah they'll work <laughs> yeah oh yeah dude Tom and Wright this is a funny story Ethan I was telling Paul about this in case and earlier Sp- talking about Tom and Wright is like you know they're coming at me, you know, with all their fly fishing questions and everything. And, you know, I'm, just, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, this is they're like, oh, well, why, how come this fish did this and not this? And I would, like, explain it to them, you know, or they would be like, you know, oh, how do, you know, do I rig this? Or, like, what do I need for this? And I would, like, you know, just explain things. Because they're, like, just learning how to fly fish. And just off of a guide trip with Kaysen, Kaysen was their first fly fishing experience. Mm-hmm. And so Kaysen, just like our sovereign leader, Paul, here, fishes the chernobyl religiously and they were like i of course i was on a brook trout stream so i had an elk hair caddis off to like you know a size 16 hair's ear mm. and right goes dang dad we we really need to start fishing with these elk hair caddises like these are way better than the chernobyls.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So he was like right. he
0: was like for these wild fish he's like they're way better than the chernobyls i was like i was like what Kason have tied on for you last time you went out? He was like, dude, like the biggest Chernobyl. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was okay, like so oh, my gosh. But said, it was so funny because I, like, I was like, yes, like you need." I was like, I don't know what Kason told you, but you do need more dry flies than a Chernobyl. <laughs> okay, I will clarify that we were fishing
3: some fresh stalkers with those <laughs> hey, Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So I will concede that
1: yeah. I thought that Paul – for the longest time i was like why is he using just a Chernobyl all the time i don't (laughs) understand i never questioned it but (laughs) listen we were on a group wade like when was it two years ago and i had like a stimulator or something and then like you know one of my nymphs that i tie or whatever and i'm watching you up river like your your people are getting dry fly eats right and left (sighs) And then I'm down here like struggling to get a fish to even eat at all, (laughs) and I'm looking like really like dude. Paul
0: Paul could be upriver catching them up on Chernobyls, and then the second you try it, you'll stop catching fish. (laughs) There's just something about it, and he's like he's like rubbed off his mojo onto Kaysen. and now it works with Kaysen. All,
1: All we ask is that in your will that you leave us. The secret, the secret, the secret sauce, the secret whatever. Sauce. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know what it is,
2: There's man.
0: Of gink on them. It is. Yeah, let us know the secret sauce for sure with the Chernobyls. But it was so funny because Wright was like, Wright and Tom were both like, yeah, like all of our dry flies are Chernobyls, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I was like. You know, I wasn't making fun of him, but I was like, boys, you got to get some more dry flies in your box. Cause I was like, I know, Ch- I know Cason made you a believer in the Chernobyl, but they do eat other flies. <laughs> do they, though? Hell, listen. And hey, you could keep throwing the Chernobyl, eventually, something will eat it. This is true.
1: It's a Senko of the fly fishing world. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I mean, the Chernobyl yeah. is a Senko of the fly fishing world. If you throw it long enough, eventually, yeah. something will eat it. Yeah. yeah.
0: I always, I always thought like, like the crankbait is the Chernobyl of the bass fishing world, Yeah. kinda. Or would you disagree with that?
1: Uh, Senko. Eh, Senko. Yeah, cinco, Senko? Senko. Senko? Yeah. Wacky rig Senko? wacky rig Senko. <laughs> wacky rig Senko. <laughs> the, <laughs> the classic. Oh, you will catch something on that eventually. All reliable, That's like a Chernobyl. Yeah, but yep.
0: <laughs> there's a reason why they've made it this far. Anyway. All right, guys. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw that little tidbit in there, but, uh, yeah, we'll have another topic cooked up for you for the next one. Um, again, we still have a massive backlog of topics as well as all the other topics that we just cook up inside of our brains. Whenever we're sitting here doing a little free talk, um, which we had some pretty awesome topics through the free talk today. It's pretty solid stuff. Um, But, uh, yeah, guys, we're, we're back. We're going to try to keep this thing rolling. Um, I know we had a dead spot basically like all spring long. And, uh, again, you know, we apologize for that, but life gets in the way. Um, Ethan, you know, like he said last is, you know, expecting his first child. Um, and the rest of us are just guiding and, you know, got a bunch of other irons in the fire, but we have not forgotten about the podcast and, uh, we're going to keep rolling them out for you guys. So we appreciate you listening and tune in next time.
2: This production is brought to you by Southern Appalachian Anglers Guide Service in Asheville, North Carolina, where trusted guides provide exceptional service.